Hello everyone and welcome to the third installment of our Christian Foundation series. In this podcast we'll consider the aspects of Christian service and mission from a mimetic perspective. But before we do, let's have a quick recap of what we've talked about so far. According to mimetic theory, we are all seeking to establish our own identity and we do this by imitating others. We hope that if we become like someone else, if we have what they have, if we become like them, then we might just become complete and satisfied just like those people over there seem to be. But even if we do achieve these goals, we soon find that we are just as empty and disappointed as we began. And all too often, we jump back on the same treadmill, chase another identity, chase another coveted object in the hope that that thing will finally complete us. We also noted that when we strive for the same identity and objects as others, this brings us into conflict and rivalry with one another as we compete for those same objects. In the last podcast, we considered the example of the Apostle Paul, whose desire to become the most zealous Jew of his day led him to persecute the Christian church. Yet Paul undergoes a conversion experience in which he lays aside his zealous pursuit of religious piety to imitate the model of Jesus Christ. As Paul looked up to Jesus and imitated him, he no longer engaged in rivalry with others around him. Paul then called his followers to imitate him as he imitated Christ. For Paul, this is the substance of Christian discipleship, which from a mimetic perspective involves observing Christ in others and then imitating this example. Now let's think about how mimetic theory illuminates the concepts of Christian service and mission. Christian service and mission begin with cultivating a healthy identity in Christ. If we observe and imitate the example of Christ in others, then this imitation will lead us to serve one another. We shouldn't feel guilt-tripped into performing acts of service for one another, but rather our generosity flows out of the joy and peace we experience in Christ. As those around us then imitate this generosity, we see our own generosity mirrored back, imitated back to us. And we can then enjoy that and we can imitate that back to other people. And so this starts a positive cycle of imitation, a type of imitation where love, joy, peace, gentleness, grace, mercy is repeated and brought into circulation. This example contrasts the negative type of imitation we see in the world, where someone harms me, I harm them, they say something nasty about me, I say something nasty, they hit me, I hit them back, which just keeps the negative violence in circulation. Our job is to imitate these positive acts of service and love to one another and get that into circulation so that others can imitate that and we can imitate those acts in others. The Apostle Paul tells us that we should give cheerfully and not out of a sense of obligation. Often this is the danger when we talk about the idea of Christian service. People feel guilty because they are not living up to a certain idealistic model. 
But this again is another form of idolatry. This guilt stems from an idolatrous pursuit to attain a certain identity characterized by religious piety, just like the Apostle Paul once lived before his conversion. The guilt trip model may motivate people to pursue good works and to give generously, but it all comes from a place of guilt and envy, what the Apostle Paul calls the flesh. In contrast, Paul challenges us to walk in the Spirit, which means our generosity must stem from an abundance of peace and joy. To the outside observer, the generosity and service look exactly the same. Yet, the person who serves under compulsion slowly withers and fades, while the person whose service manifests the fruit of the Spirit will experience increasing measure of true life. So we need to be careful when we talk about service. Christian service is never service for service's sake. It's never doing just what we know we should do. And service cannot become a means to an end by which we strive to achieve just another identity on the mimetic treadmill. Christian service must be an overflow of the Spirit's love and joy in our lives. If we're not experiencing the Spirit of God in this way, then we need to address our identity in Christ rather than forcing ourselves to produce acts of religious piety. Let's talk about Christian mission. I think very differently than most Christians about this idea. For most people, I think Christian mission means relating a distilled gospel message to someone in the hope that they might be converted to our faith by saying the sinner's prayer, getting baptized and coming along to our church so that they can get into heaven when they die. Pastors encourage their parishioners to make disciples by quoting passages like Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 to 20, where Jesus commands his disciples to make converts by taking the gospel message to the ends of the earth. But it's not just about making disciples. In fact, just five chapters earlier in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would go in to enter. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you travel across land and sea to make a single convert, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. What is the difference between the converts that Jesus' disciples will make and those of the scribes and Pharisees? Answer, Jesus' disciples have observed and imitated him in every way. They will then make disciples by serving as living models of Christ for everyone else to imitate. You see, making converts and disciples is not about convincing someone of your worldview and getting that person to say the right prayer, undergo the right rituals, or even attend a place of worship at a designated time. The mission with which Jesus has entrusted us is to imitate him so that others may imitate Christ in us. This realization completely changes the way we approach Christian mission 
Because as far as we know, Jesus never got someone to say the sinner's prayer. He never seemed to baptize anyone. And he never made a new convert and took them along to church with him. He did, however, feed the hungry, heal the sick, and commune with those who no one else would. The unholy, the impure, the untouchables who would never set foot in a church or a synagogue. In so doing, Jesus showed these people that they were enough and that God did love them. They didn't need to become someone else for Jesus to accept them. They didn't need to assume a new identity so that they would be accepted into God's presence. As Jesus healed the sick and fed the hungry, they experienced God's blessing, the same blessing which God utters over humanity in the very first chapter of the Bible. In this creation story, God takes the desolate wilderness and transforms it into a beautiful paradise filled with animals and plant life. God then makes people in his own image to continue this creative work in the world. We participate in God's creative work every time we contribute to this idyllic vision of a world characterized by blessing, abundance, love, grace, and mercy in our normal vocations. Every time we do our job well, with integrity, attention to detail, love, and compassion. Every time we hear the cry of the poor and oppressed and intercede on their behalf, we reflect the image of God. As the full image of the invisible God, Jesus models this vocation for us to imitate. These observations give us a starting point so that we can begin personally to consider our own role in the Christian mission. Jesus also rebuked the scribes and Pharisees who ostracized and oppressed those they regarded as sinners. According to the scribes and Pharisees, these people were unworthy and unloved by God. If only they could mend their ways and pursue a life of religious piety, then God might just accept them. To this end, the scribes and Pharisees worked diligently to convert these sinners. They told them that if they could just curb their morality, say the right prayers, perform the correct rituals, and regularly attend the right place of worship, then they too could go to heaven when they die. But according to Jesus, these converts became twice as much a child of hell as those who proselytized them. Why? Because, like the Apostle Paul before his conversion, these converts are looking around at everyone else to find their own identity. Imagine one of the Apostle Paul's disciples whom he converted in his religious zealotry. That convert would observe Paul and imitate him as a model. Just as Paul struggled and strained to be the most pious Jew of his day, so his convert would strive and strain for the exact same goal, even engaging in rivalry with his teacher. They would make their own disciples as they strove to become the most zealous Jew of their day. In this way, the new convert has become twice a child of hell as the person who originally proselytized them. We can easily produce unhealthy disciples if we seek to find our identity in religious zealotry and the number of converts we produce. 
this is one of the dangers of emphasizing and promoting this idea of quick fix evangelism. Again, Christian mission must flow out of our identity as followers of Christ. Let me share some of my experience. There was a time in my life when I zealously tried to win converts to Christianity. Like the scribes and Pharisees, I was convinced that God was angry with these people and that if they would just change their lives, say the right prayer, get baptized and go to church, then they would be okay. But I dreaded the thought of sharing that message with someone. And looking back now, I realized that was a healthy dread. In my religious zealotry, I attempted to make disciples that would have only become twice a child of hell that I was myself. In this place, my friends became projects, problems for me to solve, so that I could find my own identity by convincing myself that I had done something good for them. The thing is, people can tell when you treat them as a friend and an equal, and when you are just using them as some type of project. And I think that for this reason, my evangelistic efforts were pretty fruitless. In desperation, I prayed and told God that I'd been pouring myself out and that I had nothing to show for it. I was done. I told God that if he wanted me to convert these people, he would have to bring them to me. They would have to ask me about my faith. They would have to pursue it and bring it up with me. I wouldn't bring it up. I was no longer going to tell them that God was angry with them and that they were no longer worthy. Suddenly, with this change, this shift in mindset, my friends were no longer projects, but they became people who I loved and respected. Instead of trying to convert them, I went through a conversion myself. In time, my friends began to ask about that conversion, and the conversions which I've been trying to force for so long suddenly began to take place. Looking back on that experience, Sharing my faith became so easy and natural when I found my identity in who I was rather than how many converts I made. If, like me, you hate the idea of evangelism, that's probably a good thing. That may even be the Holy Spirit prompting you, cautioning you from trying to find your identity in making converts. Start by being a good friend to those around you. Start by listening to them, caring to them, taking an interest in them, in their hopes and their dreams and their desires, in their struggles. Meet them where they're at and maybe God will take care of the rest. Thanks again for joining me on the Mimetic Exegete podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you may do so on the Mimetic Exegete Facebook group. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.